you take a copy of God's Word this morning and turn open to the book of 1 Timothy. If you're using a pew Bible, we're there on page 992, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 992, if you're using a pew Bible. I'm turning open to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and this morning looking at verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Let's go ahead and pray before we hear the Word of God read and hear it preached this morning. We pray, O Father, that You would speak to us this morning, that You would speak in only a way that You can speak, knowing where each of us are at, knowing where our hearts lay, what is going on in the recesses of our souls, our struggles, our blindness, our joys, our doubts, our fears. And we pray that You would shine the light of Your Word. That there would be no dark place that is left uncovered. And that we would know that as we leave this place, that we have indeed heard the voice of our Father in Heaven. We have heard the voice of Your Son, the great prophet. We have heard as the Spirit applied this truth to our lives. We pray this in the strong name of Christ. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. We've seen over the previous weeks how Paul laid out some of the qualifications for elders in the church. He laid out qualifications for deacons in the church. We will go on to see that he will lay out some of the things that church members are to be marked by as we go into the household of faith next week, and we also see that he lays out 
those who are to be considered as widows in the church and those who are not to be considered widows in the church. But the text this morning, he is focused upon the preacher. The preacher is also an elder in the church. Timothy was a preacher. He was also an elder in the church, a teaching elder. That is, an elder that has been set aside for the proclamation of the Word of God week in and week out among the people of God. And so, Timothy, because he is a teaching elder, a preacher, he gets a double dose. He gets what Paul says to the elders, and now he gets what he says to the preacher. Why? Because... The preacher can have an influence in the church and an effect upon the church as he is teaching the church each week the Word of God. And so there is even a greater concern for Paul with the preacher. I want to look at this morning what the preacher is to be, what the preacher is to look like, what the preacher is to do. We'll wrestle this morning with some of that, and then at the end, we'll look at some general applications together. I don't want you to check out this morning. I know that is ground. There's ground to do so. You think, well, this is about the preacher. What does that have to do with me? Uh, What has an awful lot to do with you? Uh, I want you to be able to see from this text as we go through it uh, the kind of preacher that you should expect kind of preacher that you want, the kind of preacher that you must demand, and the type of preachers that you should flee from. And so there is much for you to understand this morning, and then we will do some general applications for all of us at the end. But three points this morning. The man, the ministry, and the message. The man, the ministry, and the message. First, the man. Paul is concerned with Timothy's character at the very outset. He says he is pointing out that there must be authenticity in a Christian leader's life. He is, Paul says, quote, to set the believers an example. And then he details how the preacher is to set an example before the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, part of the issue in Ephesus is this, and Paul is addressing, Timothy is young. He is very young. And how is it that Timothy is going to have the respect of older men, especially the elders that Paul has just finished speaking about? How is he going to have the respect of those men as a young man that is preaching to them? This letter was not only written to Timothy, it's also written to the entire church at Ephesus. Paul knew that as Timothy reads this, then it would also be read to the entire congregation. And so, he is saying to the congregation, you are to respect this man. Timothy was no doubt under 40 years of age, some think as low as 25 years of age, most likely he was somewhere in his 30s. You're to respect this man. But, but how was Timothy to garner such respect? How was he to elicit such respect? Well, it was not by haranguing the congregation. It was not by asserting himself. But what Paul is saying, it is by his living. It is by your living, Timothy. Frankly, it is easy to spout theology, Timothy. It's easy to digest information. It is easy to form cogent arguments. Paul knows this well. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, for goodness sakes. 
That's not the way, Timothy. No, my first concern is that every Christian leader be affected by the truth of Christ, Timothy. You're young. You're young, but you will be effective as a preacher if you are first affected by the truth. That is, that truth that you are preaching, it has to take up residence in your bones. It has to give life to you. It has to bleed from every pore in your body. It has to shape your living. And the effect must be observable by those around you. I love how Sangster famously put it, he was talking about the Thames River in London, and as he was talking about this, he said of a preacher, he said, I'm not interested to know if you could set the Thames on fire. What I want to know is this, if I pick you up by the scruff of the neck and dropped you into the Thames, would it sizzle? There are men who breathe hot, but there's no fire in them. They will bring fire to bear upon the people in front of them, but there's no warmth in them. Now Paul is saying, this is first. Paul gets to verse 16, he says, in summary, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching." It is is dangerous not only for the man, but it's dangerous for the congregation if this man does not burn in himself for Christ. Notice when he says that in verse 16, the priority is first keep a close watch on yourself, your person, Timothy. Person before proclamation. Walk before talk. That's the order. An example in speech, he says. An example in how you talk. When others hear you, it's becoming talk. It's right conversation. It's not gossip. It's not slander. It's right talk. You are to be an example in conduct that is your outward behavior. To model holiness and righteousness. You're to be an example in love. The greatest of Christian virtues. You should be known by your love for others, preacher. And faith. It's not just love, but it's a love that is accompanied with boldness and faith. He's a man that looks to Christ and often is looking to Christ and he's pointing others to Christ In purity, you are to be an example, Timothy. You are to be a moral man, especially he has in view that he is to be sexually pure. How many Christian leaders have undone or undo their teaching by their example? It terrifies me. How many have turned away unbelievers? How many have sown lies, not necessarily by what they say, but by the way that they live? The greatest of greatest threats to the church is not from without, from within. 
And the greatest of greatest threats from within are ungodly leaders. Especially preachers. We need men filling pulpits that make the tame sizzle they were dipped in. George Whitfield was such a man. George Whitfield was um, the great preacher of the first Great Awakening was really the first celebrity in America. He was famous in the British Isles throughout the colonies. He would go to preach and people would pack out to hear him preach. Benjamin Franklin, who was no Christian, uh, would go whenever Whitfield was nearby to go and listen to him preach. And Whitfield and Benjamin Franklin will eventually develop a friendship and a correspondence with one another. And there were people that were gathered around Benjamin Franklin one day and they were questioning him about the fact that he goes out to hear Whitfield preach. And they said to him, they said, Mr. Franklin, you don't even believe what he says. So why do you go to hear him? And Franklin replied, I don't believe it, but he does. He does. The man matters. Timothy, live well so you can preach well. The more one's heart is in heaven, the better it will bless on earth. Because there is no amount of knowledge, there is no amount of sermonizing, no amount of eloquence that can make up for a lack of affection in the heart. You need Preachers that love Christ. That delight in Christ. That's what you want above all. And you should be praying for that. Praying that you have preachers that know Christ and delight in Christ. But not just simply know and delight in Christ, but that progress in Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 15. He makes it clear. Timothy, you are to show progress in these things. Why? Because he's setting an example before the people of God. He is to progress. People are, are to be able to observe, Paul is saying, their leaders becoming more like the Savior that these leaders are pointing the congregants to. Why? Because this is the Christian life. The Christian life is all about becoming more and more progressively like the one we love. And so you need leaders that look like this. And you can see that. Now this makes something quite clear, doesn't it? That no leader in the church is a perfect man. We have great elders here. We have great deacons here at URC. We have great growth group leaders. We have great ministry team leaders, both men and women in different areas, godly, good people, and yet none of them have arrived. None of us have arrived. Not even the person that you look at in this congregation, you say, that is the godliest person I know. They have not arrived. We are all just leaky vessels where God has poured out His grace upon us and it is leaking out all of those different cracks in our lives. We're a sieve. 
None of us are perfected until we reach glory. But here's the issue. So many in our day are just wallowing in that. Listen, I am not what I thought I would be at this point. Not in Christ. It grieves me. I wish I was at such a greater level of holiness than I am. But you don't wallow in that. That's not a reason, Jason, to camp out and to mourn that you haven't progressed further than you are. No, it's to be motivation. Motivation that you are to progress now. To fight the good fight of faith. There's room for growth in every one of us until we reach perfection above. And a good leader in the church understands that he is to be growing progressively. It's to be evident. As John Stott said, people should be able to observe not only what they are, but what they are becoming. Can people observe about you and I not only what we are, but what we are becoming? Recently read a good example of this. Uh, Willie Still, Reverend Still, was a famous pastor in Scotland, had a huge impact in Scotland in the previous century. And uh, he preached in the same church in Aberdeen for 50 years. And for 50 years he preached in this church. And Phil Riken, who is now the president of Wheaton College, talks about how he went to stay with Reverend Still for a few months and stayed in his house. And, and in his 80s, Reverend Still would still preach morning and evening every week, as he had done for 50 years. And Phil Riken tells a story that they would every morning get up, he and Reverend Still, and they would go and they would sit at a little kitchen table and they would have their Bibles open and and Phil Riken would pepper Reverend Still with all kinds of questions biblically and about theology and about ministry. And he said routinely what would happen in the midst of those meetings, there would be mornings where Reverend Still would say, I don't know the answer to that. And he would jump up and he would run to the other room and he would get a few books and he would come running back into the kitchen with those books and lay them out on the kitchen table and he would say, Ah, oh, Philip, we're still learning, aren't we? We're still learning. 80 years old, preaching every week, and he didn't stop progressing, and it was observable. Second, it's not just the man, it's also the ministry that matters. It says, command and Teach these things, Timothy. What things? Well, the same old things. The old story. This is the ministry. Teach the truth of Christ. The good deposit that I passed on to you. All these things that we have spoken about, Timothy. Avoid the quarrels. Avoid the speculations. Avoid the irreverent silly myths. Avoid the controversies. Avoid the additions to the Gospel. Avoid all these things because they're gimmicks. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself 
to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, that is, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have. What gift? Well, clearly the gift of preaching and teaching. And preaching and teaching what? Preaching and teaching the Scriptures. Don't fall into the gimmick. Listen, every single generation of the church, we are told, and it's almost always by church experts, that we're going to lose this generation if we don't do this, or if we don't grab onto this new idea, or we don't have this new kind of method. And all of those, every gimmick, it just denies the very means God's appointed for accomplishing His kingdom purpose. Let's trust God rather than men. He has appointed the reading and preaching of His Word. That's the ministry, Timothy. You're to rely upon the Word of God for the work of God in, because that is the will of God. God chooses to work by His Word. The Scriptures alone they alone are breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. They are living and active, Hebrews 4.12. They are the means by which God saves the lost, Romans 10. They are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3. It alone does not return void, Isaiah 55. It alone neither withers nor fades, Isaiah 40. It stands forever relying upon anything else for fruitful ministry is just plain stupid. Stupid. And that doesn't matter whether it is preaching or whether it is any other kind of ministry that you are engaged in. It is to be founded upon the Word of God. It is to be suffused with the Word of God. If you're seeking to be fruitful for the God of the Word. We depend upon it. Nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. Notice that Paul emphasizes the reading of the Scripture. He says in verse 13, the public reading of Scripture. The public reading of Scripture. He's talking about this. Where the church of God is gathered and the Scriptures are read. When we read the Scriptures here at URC, it's not a precursor to the great event of preaching. That's not what it is. When the Word is read, it goes out and the Spirit attends to it. And it's made effectual. It does not return void. I work on this with our pastoral interns at URC. It isn't just the preaching that matters. It's also the reading of Scripture that matters. The Spirit works with the Word as it's read. Because listen, you're being taught when the Scripture is being read here. I'm teaching you. I taught you this morning when I read the Word. Before I started preaching. Just by the way I inflected words. By the words that I emphasized. By the words that I slowed down on. By the words that I sped through. I'm interpreting for you. I put effort into that. I think through that. And even as I put in an effort to reading the Word, so you are to put effort into hearing the Word as it's read. 
Your mind isn't just to perk up when the preaching event begins. You're to perk up as the Word is being read. And you're seeking to understand it. And you're seeking to receive it. Paul's not shy with Timothy here. He employs demanding language when he talks about this. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, Timothy. This is to be your way of life. This is what it looks like to be a gospel preacher. Why? Because of our third point. Because of the message. It's in this message that you deliver Timothy is of eternal importance. It's the message of salvation. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Implied in that, Timothy, is that you are to preach Christ. This is the great message. There is no way for preaching, the reading and preaching of the Word, to actually affect salvation unless what? Unless Christ is set forth. Why? Because it's only in the name of Christ that you can be saved. It is only by believing upon Christ that you can be saved. As Peter says there in Acts 4 when he is preaching. He says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Saved. This is the great task of the preacher is to prepare you for death. That's the great task. To give them Christ. To help them to see Christ. To receive Christ. To grow in Christ. I love that Charles Spurgeon spoke about this one time. He was talking about England and he said, all the, no matter what road you're on in England, he said, that road leads you to London. And so he said, it's the same with the Scriptures. Every passage of Scripture leads you to Christ. Every sermon is to lead you to Christ. If you are not receiving Christ here from this pulpit, run or fire me. Fire me for my good and for your good. If I'm not giving you Christ, then I'm not giving you anything. It's Christ. That's the ministry. Show us Christ. Sir, we would see Christ. Paul says it to Timothy here. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and preach the Word. By so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. How do you do that, Timothy? By preaching Christ. And Paul will say, I preached Christ and Him crucified. I only knew Christ among you. That's what he will say. Now this language here is a little shocking for us, rightfully so. As you will save both yourself and your hearers. You say, well, this is the Apostle Paul. Doesn't he say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? What is he talking about? Timothy saving his hearers and saving himself through the preached word by attending to these things. 
Well, Paul, of course, is not saying, Timothy, you will save yourself by keeping a close watch on yourself. Rather, what he is saying is what he will say, for instance, to the Philippians when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, if you are a Christian, if you have received Christ, that now you are to continue to persevere in Christ. And so he's saying to Timothy, look, keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, so you continue to persevere in Christ. And in this way, you'll save yourself. And by doing this, you will save your hearers as you keep a close watch on yourself and as you keep a close watch on the doctrine, on what you are teaching and what you are preaching as you are setting Christ before them. Not that your preaching actually saves them, but you are reaching out Christ to them. And as they receive Christ, then they have salvation. Often, Prayer I pray more than any prayer before I get in the pulpit almost every Sunday is, Lord, help me to shrink into the background. And all they see is Christ. All they see is Christ. It's what we need. The man, the ministry, the message. We'll just close with a few applications in light of this text for all of us. First, always, always make sure you are in a church that preaches the Word. Disturbs me. Greatly disturbs me. We will have Christians who will get ready to move to a new area some of you graduating from college will do this. Some of you getting done with your graduate degrees will do this. Some of you, as you get new jobs, will do this. And you'll go out to a place and you'll interview for this dream job. And you will sit down and you'll try and assess the company. You'll tour the area. You'll want to know what is the benefits package that you're receiving. You'll look at the local schools for your children if you have children. You'll get a realtor and have them take you around and look at houses. And then maybe, often after the decision has been made, now let's see if we can find a church. Maybe not even until we've moved to that area. As if that's the last or least part of the equation. It doesn't matter how nice the schools are. It doesn't matter how great your benefits package is. It doesn't matter how big your backyard is if your soul is languishing because you're not being fed the Word of God. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? You find yourself first whether there's a church that proclaims the Word of God where you're entertaining going. Don't go there unless you found that church or unless you plan on going to plant that church with somebody. Don't go. And listen, don't stay at a church that has wandered from it. If URC ceases preaching the Word of God, ceases presenting Christ to you, you run from this place. You fire me or you run from this place. You do one of the two. You need the Word of God. 
That's what you need. You don't need a celebrity pastor. You don't need the most gifted of men standing before you. You don't need entertainment. You don't need the best musicians. You don't need humor, for goodness sakes. You need the Word. You need the Word. And you need it week in and week out. I need it week in and week out. Second, if the Word in our public gathering is this important for our souls, that Paul says to Timothy, to devote yourself to these things. This is to be your entire life, Timothy. That he says, do not neglect this public reading. Exhort and teach this Word. For by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. If it is of this eternal importance, then you need to be here. You need to be here. This is not a nice add-on option for the Christian life. This isn't where you wake up Sunday morning and just decide whether you feel like going today. You need to be here. And I don't say that because it's job security for me. I say it because I love your soul. need this. I need this. You need to be among the people of God in the room with the people of God where you're hearing the word read and you're hearing the word preached and you are being presented Christ week in and week out. You need it. This isn't an optional gathering. Let's live like it. In that light, let's not casually walk in on Sunday mornings. If it is as important as Paul is emphasizing, you and I need to prepare for such a gathering. If I knew tomorrow morning that I was going to meet with the President of the United States, I'd spend time thinking about that meeting this afternoon. I wouldn't wake up at the last minute tomorrow morning and run out of the house. You're not meeting with the President of the United States. Those change. Those fail. Those fall. You are meeting week in and week out here with the living God of the universe. You're hearing from Him. That's what Paul is saying. You're hearing from Him. The living God of the universe. We should prepare ourselves. Can I encourage you? Sunday mornings begin Saturday evenings. Don't have a late night. Drowsy heads make for poor worshipers. We're meeting with God. You want to be alert when you meet with God. Now listen, live it up on Friday nights, or as much as Presbyterians can live it up. But on Saturday night, let's uphold the accusations against us. Let's be boring. Go to bed on time, maybe even a little early. Well, on Sunday morning, how about you get up on time or maybe even get up a little early? Don't jostle out the door. You lay out the clothes the night before. If you have a teenage daughter, you lay out the, her clothes the night before so she doesn't change five times. 
not good preparation for worship. You stop in the morning and you pray. And you take time to read the text that is going to be preached. You think through it so that your heart is all the softer for receiving the word when you come into this place. And prepare yourself. And you pray. Oh, pray before you come. Pray while you sit here. Pray throughout the service. Pray in your head over and over. Oh Lord, help me to receive what is being preached. Help me to know how to apply what is being preached. Help me to understand the greater truths of You, my God, as I hear this Word read and preached. And all pray for one another. Pray that others in this room would hear the Word of God preached. And oh, pray for the preacher. That he'd be clear. That he'd be effective. I have a mentor who regularly preaches at a historically African-American church. And he says it's one of his favorite places to preach because of the way that this historically African-American church gives feedback in the room as he's preaching. You know, as he is preaching, he said, it is wonderfully encouraging to hear, glory, hallelujah, praise God, go on, preacher. He said it's not so encouraging when he knows that he's struggling and there seems to be kind of a palpable feel of that in the room and all of a sudden different voices start echoing the same thing in the room. Lord, help him. Lord, help him. It's a good prayer. Maybe you could pray that in the service under your breath or in your head for my sake, but I could use those prayers. Lord, help him. Finally, as a congregation, let me encourage you to hear the reading and preaching of the Word astutely, attentively, reverently, and responsively. Receive it astutely. Insist. Insist upon sound preaching. No matter how old you are in the Christian life, you are to want more and more of this Word. You will take nothing less than this Word. You don't want to be entertained. You want the Word. And you want Christ to listen for the Word astutely. Listen attentively. Seek to understand it as you're hearing it. To do so, you have to be attuned to it. Listen, as the preacher is accountable for faithfulness in proclaiming, so you are accountable for your faithfulness in listening. We both have a job here. We both have a job. I work very hard to try and make this as clear as possible, to make it as effective as possible, to be the least distracting I can be as possible. That's my responsibility. Your responsibility is to receive it attentively. To try not to be distracted. We both have responsibility. Now listen, I understand. I understand the preacher can be boring at times. I can be boring at times. 
I understand the preaching can be unclear at times. I can be unclear at times. I understand that the preacher can be distracting at times. I can be distracting at times. But you have responsibility as you sit here to try and get rid of all of those distractions from your head and your heart and to listen attentively. Billy Graham said it well once when he was talking about prayer. He said, you know, in prayer you often get distracted. He said, that thought will come into your mind. He said, that happens to everybody. He said, let the bird fly through. Just don't let it nest. You have distracting thought in worship. You're thinking about what you're having lunch later today or the football game later today or what work you got to do next week or that kid over there across the room or, oh, I've got to touch this person after the service or I can't believe they said that to me before the service. As soon as you begin to have that thought and you realize it, you stop and you redirect yourself to the Word. That's your responsibility. We're in this together. We both have to be attentive. You listen reverently. Why do you listen reverently? Because God is speaking. God, this is not about the preacher. This is Christ the prophet proclaiming His truth to His people. The living Word. This is the Spirit of Christ that is applying that Word to your heart and to your souls. You're hearing from God. That's what's happening. And so you are to receive it reverently. As if He was thundering in this room from heaven as He did over Jesus at His baptism. You were hearing it like that. You receive it like that. He's speaking to you. Finally, we listen responsively. As Timothy was to be affected by the Word, so are each of us. To be affected. How Moore once said, the question we should ask when we leave worship is not this. It should not be, did you get anything out of that? But rather the question should be, will I, will I obey the Word of God? How must my thinking be realigned with the Scripture? How must I change my behavior to be fully obedient to the Word? Why? Because we come into this place and we all want as Christians or should want as Christians to progress. This isn't just for the preacher Timothy. It's for all of us. We want to progress. We want to look more like the one we love. Why? Because He is so desperately beautiful. And we want Him to receive more and more glory from our lives. And so we listen. We respond. To be conformed and formed to His likeness. 
so that we look more and more like Him as we progress through this life until that day that we are in glory with Him who lived for us and died for us and was buried for us and resurrected for us and we now see Him as He is and so we are like Him. Perfectly. Do this together. We sit under the Word together. need to help each other in this. Help me. seek to help you. Let's pray. Lord our God, we do thank you. You are a God who has given us your word. We're thankful that you've bound us together in community. That word comes to bear. Each of us gifted differently and informing each other's lives so that we might be conformed more to the likeness or Christ of this word. How we would live for his glory. We give praise to you, our Father. We would have our hearts as fertile ground for the planting of the word. By the Spirit. Shape and mold us, we pray, according to the likeness of our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.